Welcome to Finance for Physicians, a show where we empower physicians like you to practice medicine the way you always dreamed you would. This podcast features doctors, physicians, and experts that share one main thing in common. We believe having control of our finances leads to having control of our lives. In a world where doctors' lives are often dictated by our needs to maximize income, pay back massive student loans, and buy homes, many of us give up reaching those goals. But it doesn't have to be this way. If you are ready to learn how financial wellness creates happier doctors and patients, then I'm your guy. I'm your host and financial expert, Daniel Wren. Let's get started. What's up, guys? As I'm recording this, it's really close to the end of the year and start of the new year. And so probably by the time you're hearing this, it'll already be the beginning of the new year. So happy new year. It's such a great time of year to be talking about planning and goal setting and how to make this year even better than last. And so we're going to be talking about getting this year started right and goal setting today. If you're like me, I'm sure you've had your fair share of failed goal attempts. Just look at the gym attendance. If you've ever been in the gym in like January, you know it's like super crowded. Everybody starts the year out with that motivation to lose, you know, a certain number of pounds. But we get into February and at some point everybody disappears and somehow we've all dropped the ball and lost the motivation. Or maybe a few of you are able to keep it going and maintain that and and maybe even hit the goals. But once you hit that goal, you oftentimes really don't feel any differently and maybe it didn't even improve your life at all. And so you're left searching like what's next and maybe even questioning like what was the point of the goal in the first place. So obviously something is not working in the way that we're setting these goals and these new year's resolutions. If you resonate with any of this, you're, you're definitely going to enjoy my conversation with our guest today. She's been through all of that herself and is really open about sharing her experiences of the ups and downs. So my guest today is a part-time practicing emergency room physician. She's a wife and a mom of five kiddos and two dogs. So she's very, very busy. But on top of that, she's the founder of the Physician Moms Group, which is a a very large Facebook group and is a high-performance coach for high-earning women, especially those in uh, male-dominated fields. And so through all of this, she's on top of it all, been able to advocate for racial and gender equality. And so I think all of us have that itch inside from time to time, like our guest did, to make a change or that desire to become a better version of ourselves. But that pull of the status quo is so strong and it's it's just really difficult to change course. And so most of us end up doing nothing or at least reverting back to that status quo. So our guest today is different. She's figured out how to change the course of her life and is a living example of how impactful this can be. She's also been a very generous person with sharing this knowledge with others and even teaching and coaching others on how to make this change themselves. She's someone that's always exploring her life purpose and values and always asking those 
really important and sometimes difficult why questions and peeling back those layers on her decisions and really viewing these decisions she makes from day to day from this lens of what's most important to her and how they're going to impact impact her life and ultimately help her become the best version of herself. So when you get to this place, that's when you really start to see positive results in your life. And the goals you set in the new year actually start to make your life noticeably better. So our guest today is Dr. Hala Sabri. This conversation was loaded up with all sorts of great nuggets, but a, a few of them that come to mind, we talk about her experience growing up with the scarcity mindset and how it was so restrictive and paralyzing with her decision-making. We talk about how she was able to change that mindset and how impactful it was. We also talk about how her experience of getting rich was really not a big change on her life. And it simply made her the person, more of the person she already was, which for her situation wasn't actually really a great thing. And so the real game changer was when she was able to, to begin to explore her values and her purpose and figure out how to use money as a tool to fulfill them, which ultimately for her required changing course. And that's, that's where the, the true wealth lies, I think, for a lot of us. So we also talk about how she was able to make this transition and what it looked like for her and the importance of investing in yourself along the way. We also talk about things like the benefits of therapy and coaching and how impactful they've been for her. She also shares a really unique way of viewing decisions from this lens of more than just the financial ROI or return on investment, because there's all kinds of reasons to make decisions beyond just those that make you richer. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And so let's jump into it without further ado. Hala, thanks for joining me today. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a crazy time of year. My house has been super hectic over the holidays as we're recording it. It's December 29th. I'm sure, and I have three kids, right? So you you have a f five kids and two dogs. Has, have, has the holidays been crazy for you guys? or? You know, it's been fun. I think every day is kind of, it has the potential of being crazy if I want to qualify it like that. But, you know, honestly, it's been really super fun. My in-laws also are here. I mean, they're here maybe like half the year they stay with us. And so it's been really really helpful. And I have a really great relationship with my in-laws. So it's actually, I love having a full house growing up. I only had one brother and it sucked because, I mean, I love my brother. If he's listening, I love you so much. <laughs> You're the most <laughs> awesome brother in the whole world. But when we fought, like I had no one else to play with. And my kids, like they fight all day. That's just what they do, you know? And so they'll come down like, oh, so I so was mad at me. I'm like, you have four other choices. Like go, like let's do it. <laughs> and so it's really fun. It's always like, it's always a little hustle and bustle. So I love it. I love the hecticness. What are the ages? Uh, my eldest is nine. And then I have twins that are eight. And then I have twins that are four. Okay. Yeah. So you got some different dynamics. We went ice skating yesterday to keep our kids busy. That oh my goodness. Kind of exciting. <laughs> That would stress me out. <laughs> That's what I said. It was me and my my father-in-law, or my, my dad and myself and mm -hmm. my three boys, and my wife did not go, which was for the better because she would have been hyper-stressed out. It was right. just kind of... like an ER doctor's nightmare. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it was fun. But we're just trying to stay busy with activities and that kind of thing. I was looking at, at checking out in preparation for this, your social media, and you have this really beautiful picture of of your, I think it was your older twins and younger twins right after you had your younger twins. And it was, I think it was such a good post because 
it's the classic, like almost like perfect family picture. And mm -hmm. I look at the picture and I'm like, man, that's like an amazing setup. And I'm s such a happy moment and everything's perfect almost. But I, if you read the post, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. And so I'd love it if you could kind of talk about like that moment, because it was clearly it on the surface looked pretty solid, but maybe talk through some of the behind the scenes that you had going on, because there's a lot more. Yeah. And I think I post a lot about the realities of my life. I think people read my bio or maybe you listen to the intro here and they're like, oh my gosh, I can never be her. Or who the hell is she? Who is she? Who the hell does she think she is? Kind of thing. And I think social media, that's kind of where I grew my non-clinical aspect of my career. I was on social media in a day and age where social media was really focused on perfection, right? Like it's like the Instagram era. Everything was like perfect pictures and, and honestly like twins too. Like, I don't mean to come off really like direct, but sometimes people use them as like accessories, right? Like it's like, oh, they're so cute. Like they dress them up and things like that. And I remember when my, my kids, this couple of years ago, I remember like taking the picture and not really taking the picture thinking I'd ever post it on social media, but just knowing the picture was so important to me for the future, no matter how bad I felt at that moment. But man, I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed in that moment. I was always feeling judged. I think I just like cared so much about making sure everybody was happy. I think in that actual post, I was talking about people pleasing. And I just remember taking pictures and my husband, it's an overwhelming time. I mean, the babies were like, what, three weeks old. And then we had another set of twins that were three and a half. And then a child that was five. And we're at this house. And I remember one of them threw up and like, it's just like, it was just so much going on. And I just remember thinking, gosh, like, I really want my pictures. And I really want that for me, but I also want my husband to be happy. And I also don't want the photographer to be upset. And I want the kids to have a good experience and almost like sacrificing what I wanted was like this, like picture of this memory that I'll never get back. I'll never be able to get my kids back to three weeks old to take those pictures. And this is really around the time that I was finding coaching, you know, and I just knew that I was miserable and I was like very overwhelmed. And I knew that like, one of the reasons why I wanted to actually do your podcast is that you you talk a lot about money. And I used to think money was my biggest problem. I used to think that if I made more money or if I had six months of savings or expense savings, or if I had X number of dollars in investments, like my life would be better. And I'm just, I, I wanted to come on your podcast to tell you guys like, that's not true. Like money obviously is a great tool and it can leverage great power and things for you. But it won't change what you think about yourself or how you view the world. It will not. It will just make you more of who you are. So if you are more of the person that's trying to please other people, trying to get approval on social media through like, loves, and comments on posts, or you're scared of disappointing people, or you think you can act, you think that you actually have the power of making people sad or mad or upset, whatever it may be, like you will just have a lot more money and be more of that person. And I just didn't want to be that person. I just didn't want to be that person anymore that just kept people pleasing and being worried about not being good enough. Money wasn't going to change that for me. But I did use my money to change those thoughts. I hired a coach and now I'm here to talk about really how how your life can look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love the way you described that. And I haven't ever really thought of it exactly like that, like how money makes you more of who you already are. And that, but that's yeah. very true. I think especially without like intentionality and it's just going to kind of propel you further in the direction you are, you're already 
on and and that can be for good or for bad and but you kind of took it as a change opportunity and and also in the post you did describe how your your mother had instilled some pretty valuable lessons which I'm curious did was that kind of I'm assuming that was a big factor as well some of those lessons she had taught you I know towards the later stages of her life yeah. You know, my mom, for people that don't know my story, my mom, she passed away almost five years ago from breast cancer. And, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom. My dad was a doctor and I learned a lot of lessons, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you guys two major lessons I learned from her. And one is when I was 10 years old. And I think in every marriage, I don't care what kind of marriage you have, like it is normal to fight. If you're not fighting, something, <laughs> something is wrong. And yeah, I mean, that's how people communicate, right? They have disagreements and then they come to an understanding and they, and they grow. And there was a fight that my parents were having. And of course, when you're 10 years old, like you don't really know how to gauge, you know, what that really means. But this was a big fight, whatever it was, it was a huge fight. And my mom was so mad that she was like, I'm going to go get a job. And I was like, oh man, that is like major, right? <laughs> and so she puts on like this really awesome outfit and she goes to a temp agency. Now you have to remember this is the 80s or around the 80s or late 80s. She goes to a temp agency and my mom in our whole family and like little community, she was the fastest typer like in the whole wide world. And she was so fast and she had like these like awesome, like always done nails and it was always clickety clack and we could just hear her typing and it was just like so beautiful. And she goes and, and that was her best asset. Like that's what she was like depending on. Okay. And so she goes and she does like the test and I guess she didn't type fast enough. I mean, she was the fastest typer in our world, but not in the world of the temp agency. So she typed like 35 minutes and you needed 50 minutes or 50, I'm sorry, 35 words a minute. And she needed like 50 words a minute. And so I don't even know what happened. Okay. But she came home. Okay. And she was mad and she like threw the keys, like very dramatic. And I was like, what is going on? You know, I'm 10 years old. I'm really trying to, you know, I think one thing I also learned is I'm not going to do that to my kids. Like I'm not going to let them see all my emotions because it's kind of a lot of responsibility for them, you know, but whatever, this is my experience. But I remember talking to her and she was like, Hella, she was like, don't ever depend on anybody Mm. like for your financial independence. I mean, she didn't say it like that, but that's kind of now how I understand it. And basically she told me, she's like, please, like you need to make sure that you're completely willing and able to finish school and have your own job before you even start a life with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I was like 10 I understood the assignment and I became who I am today, right? Like I, you know, I've totally ex- exceeded her ex- expectations. So for me, I think independence for women through money is a really important thing. I mean, my parents had an amazing, you know, marriage and they stayed married until both of them eventually passed away and things like that over time. So yeah, I mean, the story has a good ending, but everybody has a fight. But in that moment of weakness, the one thing that she wanted to teach me is don't ever be in my position. I think every parent wants better for their kid. And so... For me now, I mean, when I'm coaching, I'm coaching these high earning women. I coach 1% earning women. So, I mean, they're, they all have stories like mine, like very similar. Oh, my mom said this, or my dad, ultimate feminist, like wanted me to make sure that I was never dependent on anybody or any entity, especially if they're business owners or things like that. And so it's like, well, what do you do with that money? I mean, people just told us to make a lot of money and then we made a, a shitload of money. Right. But then it's like, now what? Right. Mm-hmm. And you're on this like mission, right? To check off all the boxes and then you get there and you have all this money and then you just find out that you're not happy. And all you're doing is thinking about when can you stop? When can you stop getting off of this, get off this hamster wheel? When can you stop generating this money, right? Which has become such a big part of your identity, right? And so I think that's one thing I learned from my mom is like the importance of independence for women 
and right now, especially understanding now a little bit more about the wage gap that exists in this country and the wealth gap that exists in the world, my and my thoughts are the more money that women have, the more equality and equity that we will have over time. And so for me, I think it's really important not only to teach women how to make a lot of money, but how to have the capacity to have that money and how to actually live their life with that money. And I think the men need the same kind of lessons too. I'm not saying the men don't. I just, I focus on the women, right? The second thing I learned from her was at the end of her life. And it was really about advocacy. And it was really about like, really like no one's going to come and save you. And yeah, I remember she was dying and I, you know, I'm a doctor, right? And so she's like, telling me, you know, I was pregnant at the time and she was like, you know, I really want you not to die from the same disease. I don't want you to have the same fate. And unfortunately, there were so many women in our family that had that same fate. And so she was like, I really want you to do a surgery to remove your breasts so that way you don't get breast cancer. But after you're done with being pregnant and it kind of really taught me that like, yeah, I know that, you know, there's all these recommendations and people are always going to tell you what you should and you shouldn't do. But ultimately, you, you have to know what's best for you. And I'm not telling everybody to go against doctor's recommendations at all. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is don't depend on someone that's more expert than you to really, truly know what's best for you. Mm -hmm. Take everything as a suggestion and opinion, but at the same time, really, really advocate for yourself with within reason, right? So I ended up going through that surgery a year ago. And it's, I think my mom, if I had to say something to her now, I think that she put a lot of, she was always like kind of, I think she was a little bit, I think self-conscious that she wasn't the breadwinner of the family, Mm -hmm. you know? So those of you that are listening, I mean, I I have a lot of clients that are, they're 1% earning women, but they're not the breadwinner which is insane, right? Like their husbands just make a lot more money or maybe they are the breadwinner and they feel like they're not. One of my clients says it best. She's like, I'm not the fun parent, right? Like she thinks like she's the one that makes money and then her husband is like the fun parent. But no matter what your dynamics are, just know your kids are watching you and your kids are listening and whatever your internal dialogue is in your head, which I think my mom's was a lot of like victimhood. Like like she's like a result of her circumstances and like she didn't really have a lot of power right? Like, I think that was a a lot, but that internal dialogue becomes what you say to other people, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they're at work or they're your kids, right? And so for me, learning that from my mom, and I love my mom dearly. And I think that we teach, we teach from the place of love and we teach from a place from our mistakes, right? And so for me, I just wanted to make sure that my dialogue that was in my brain was what I exactly wanted curated for my kids to hear. And I wanted to change that generational shift, especially I have four girls and I have a boy, I wanted to change how, how they, they heard me and I wanted to change how I hear myself. And so that's how I leverage my money. Like that's what I did. I think investing in yourself is probably the most important first investment. Um, mm-hmm. I know you might have different portfolio for people, but I just think like you become just such a different person when you invest in yourself and your mindset. And I'll say now, I remember having meetings with my financial planner before. And I lived in scarcity mode. I was like, wait, what's the minimum I have to, I have to pay here because I'm not going to have enough money to live. That's the kind of, I know you're laughing because I'm pretty sure you have like the same, <laughs> same conversation. But now I'm like, wait, what's the maximum? Like, I, like I can leverage that. I could do this. I could do that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just so much more open to getting to my goals, my financial goals that I built from abundance, not from scarcity. And it's just, it's such an important shift for people. Investing in yourself is interesting because I think in the career track of medicine. It's such a huge investment to invest in medical school and whether you're taking out debt or actually paying in the moment. But either way, it's a huge investment, massive investment for medical school. And then 
you get finished with training or I mean, I guess residency and fellowship in itself is kind of an investment because you're being paid lower than what you would normally get. And then you get out into practice. And it seems like a lot of families we work with in practice kind of like stop completely stop really investing in themselves at that point. And it's almost like we'll suggest maybe consider hiring a coach or go talk to a counselor or therapist or hire a planner or like that. I'm kind of investing in yourself in some ways or educating yourself in some new business coach or real estate course or those kinds of things. Oftentimes when we suggest those things, it's, it's not very well received. No, it's like, I don't have time. I don't have money. And it's a, I find it is like a contradictory sort of disconnect there, but I don't exactly understand why it's happening. Yeah. So I, I coach, I, go, I mainly coach a lot of doctors just because that's where my audience is, but I coach other people too. I coach lawyers and women in tech and engineers and things like that. So it's all high earning women. And I will tell you that they all have a very similar mindset and I'm pretty sure as your clients too. I mean, they've been on this path since they were like 18, sometimes mm. earlier. You know what I mean? And the system, okay, meaning medical school, society, whatever, right? Like they keep promising it's going to get better. Like you will be able to enjoy yourself when fill in the blank, right? So for me, it was like, just wait till you're in attending. Your life is going to be amazing, right? And again, I'm going to tell you, if you take anything from this podcast, it is not going to be amazing then if you don't make it amazing now. It's just going to be more of what it is now. So when I was in medical school, I felt overwhelmed. I felt like, I was like trying to find free pizza all the time because I didn't have money. And even though that wasn't even true, I had money, but like everybody else around me was like, oh, it's free pizza. And I was like, well, I must get the free pizza too, right? Like it was just like, it's who you surround yourself with. It's that, it's that mindset, right? And so I was like really scrappy. I was very much of a hustler. And I like literally lived on two speeds, like all in or stopped. Like that's what I did, right? And that got me to an amazing medical career, Right. And then guess what? I graduated from residency. I was making big attending money. And I, and I work in a very well-compensated specialty. I make between five and $600,000 a year if I work full-time as an ER doctor in Southern California. That's what I made. And so I was making double what I thought I was me making, right? But guess what? I was still the hustler. I was still stop and go. I was still feeling like I didn't have money. Like nothing changed, right? Nothing, nothing, nothing changed. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that we wait for this like arrival fallacy, like I'm going to get there and then all of a sudden things are going to get better and it doesn't. And then we're frustrated and we're pissed. We're like, wait, who lied to us, right? Like I sacrificed how many years of my life? I sacrificed my 20s, right? I missed birthdays. I missed weddings. I missed all these things, right? Maybe you messed up relationships because you dedicated your career to your career, right? All these things, right? And then you get there and you're like, well, well, crap for what, right? I want to see return on my investment now, right? But what you don't realize is that money is just one, you know, your income is just one of the markers of return on, on investment. And I, and so a lot of my clients, if, especially if they're business owners, like if they're like thinking of investing in something like real estate, they're like, well, you know, I'm looking at the return on investment. And I'm like, well, what, like, what do you think the return on investment is? And they will always give me a dollar amount. Well, I think in five years, I'll make X amount of dollars. I'm like, well, what else? What else? What else? What else? And they just like, they don't know how to think outside of that term. So I think it's an important shift. Like, I'm glad that you, I mean, I'm actually glad that you reached out to me because, you know, I, I've, I've never, I've only been on one other financial podcast and it's just a really interesting and amazing tool that you ask your clients to do because it really, really helps them really take that pressure off of money and you, and use money as 
not the end all, but just one of the one of the things that they can get a return on investment on. But other other kind of return on investment for people that are thinking about this are things like what are what are the networking abilities, right? Like who are you going to be around? What's the new communities that you're going to be engaged in? What are the new opportunities that will be created from what you do, right? Like for example, I just invested in a syndication. I never did it before, and I kind of had a lot of like reservations, like oh my gosh, like this is the first time I'm investing in something like real estate wise that I don't have control over. I can't just go sell a house, right? Like if I get scared for whatever reason, I get spooked. I can be like, oh, I'm going to sell the house, right? I can't, I can't just pull that money out, right? It was a little bit scary, but the reason why I did it is I want to learn how to leverage more of my money and diversify it, right? And so I was like, it was actually not, a, it was not, not a huge amount of money, but I was like, I want to learn this not only for me, but here's all the other return on investments, right? Like, okay, yeah, I might make money, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to go to all those quarterly meetings and I'm going to learn. I'm going to ask all the annoying questions because like, I don't know. I, I mean, I know how to be a doctor really well. I don't know how to be a real estate agent or a real estate investor. I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to go and I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to see who else is investing. And I'm going to find out people who invest, they invest, right? So I want to see what they're doing. I want to be in that circle. I want to be wealthier. If I want to be wealthier, I need to surround myself with those kinds of people, right? And then I can leverage those opportunities. And then also I have a coaching program called the 1% Women's Club, which is going to, is a large community. And what I'm going to be doing from there is teaching them, right? So look at how much return on investment it's going to have. I'm going to teach them. And you know what? My goal is to have a fully female invested fund. That would be so fun, right? It's for like a group of women to own a $30 million property. Like that'd be amazing, right? If it's all women. Like, so for me, that's what I'm thinking, right? So I may have put in, you know, I don't know, 10, 20, $30,000, right? But look at all the return on investment I'm getting, right? I'm getting education. Look at what I'm going to become afterwards, right? I'm going to become a person who is more connected in that community, has more networking ability, has more education, can leverage that to help other women make money. Like that's the return on investment. That makes that money that I initially invested look like pennies, looks like peanuts, right? So I think, I think for me, I think it's just really, really focusing on who I'm going to become after, not who I am now. So I hope that you guys will like do those exercises, especially if you're really stressed out about money. I'm completely on the same page because we have the same conversations over and over. And it's typically about performance, percentage rate of return or dollars. And there's so many other factors, like you're saying, like relationships and community and impact and diversification and also the learning thing. And that that's, that's great too, is because if you can kind of get your hands dirty and be involved, that's can potentially be a good thing, but it could also be a bad thing if you don't want to go that direction. And I think the biggest thing you said at the very end and wrapping that up, which I think is super important is like, it's all about like, is this thing pushing you towards becoming the person you want to become? as opposed to just kind of staying complacent. And I think most investments don't really move the needle much. They just give you mm -hmm. more money, which more money in itself does really nothing. I mean, in itself, it, it gives you opportunities to, to do something, but you ultimately have to do something with it. And a lot of people are just building mm -hmm. wealth just to build wealth. And I think that's, that's kind of a problem, a challenge, an issue in itself. So you've taken this to the next level relatively early in life. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people, unfortunately, it takes a really long time. I think everybody, a lot of people realize it like late in their life. Even some people realize it like on their deathbed. I mean, they're like, oh, you yes. unexpectedly have a week to live. And you're like, oh, crap. I didn't yeah. become the person I wanted to become. And that's like devastating and full of regret. And nobody wants to mm -hmm. end up 
at that point. But like, how do you shift that? I mean, that's, that's a important shift, I think, but like, it takes a lot of work, right? And you've already kind of mentioned like investing in yourself. I agree. That's a huge one. Um, how mm -hmm. do you start to do that? What does it look like? I'm, I'm curious how people can kind of start to make that transition. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you bring that up about kind of living like you're dying. And that's exactly how I, it started. You have to remember like my mom, I remember like looking for more fulfillment. I wasn't burnt out. Like I think in medicine, we use burnout terms so much that like, if you're mildly unhappy, they're like, oh, you're burnt out. Right. But like, I wasn't burnt out. I wanted to do more. I wanted to have more impact. I wanted to create businesses and I wanted to do all these things. Right. I just knew I couldn't love, I could only leverage my medical career, my traditional clinical career so much. Right. So I still practice medicine, but I just knew at one point I was sitting in the ER. It was nine o'clock in the morning. This section of the ER was about to open up and I had my coffee. This is before COVID you guys. And so <laughs> like you could eat and drink and you could do all these things. Right. And so like I was sitting there and I had my coffee and I was looking around at this like clean, empty ER. And I remember thinking to myself, I love my freaking job. But is this all I'm going to do for the rest of my life is go around in a circle and see 20 patients plus a day, right? Is that all I'm going to do? Not that that's not impactful. Not that I don't love that because I do, right? But I'm ready. I think I, I think I was so freaking confused that I was ready to continue to evolve and grow because I was defying all the rules. You're supposed to be a doctor and then you're supposed to be a doctor forever until you die. So like, why was I thinking about growing my career, Right. We don't really see that. And then if I do that, am I a sellout? Am I really a doctor? Like all of these things, right? And so I remember hiring a therapist and I love therapy. I think therapy is an amazing, amazing tool. I have a therapist that I see every single week. Actually, I see her on Thursdays and here today. Mm -hmm. um, and I think therapy is amazing and therapy is different than coaching. But my therapist at the time, and she's great, but she was like kind of like not saying what I'm about to say, but this is how I took it at the time. Like you're kind of making up problems for yourself. Because I remember thinking, like, I'm happy. I have everything I want. I'm going on vacations. I have the house. I have the cars. I'm doing all the things, right? But I, I'm not fulfilled. And she was like, well, what's going to make you fulfilled? I'm like, I, I don't know, right? And that's the difference between therapy and coaching. And some therapists are, like, they do coaching, like they do. But I, I just haven't found one. But I know that they exist out there. But therapist is kind of like driving in a car. And you're using all of your ways of looking outside the car, right? So you, you're using your rear view mirror, your side mirrors to look behind you. And I feel like that's exactly what therapy does. Mm. Like, are you, is there anything that's in your past that could affect your future moving forward, right? Or affect you now and where you're at. And then I think what coaching is, it's like looking through the windshield, right? Looking forward at the road and also your GPS, right? Where are you going and how are you going to get there? And that's exactly what coaching is, right? And I didn't know that. I didn't know what coaching was exactly. I just knew I wasn't happy and I wasn't fulfilled. That's all I could say. I was like, gosh, is this all it's going to be for my whole life? And like just really questioning and especially around a time that I was ready to grow. And my mom, she had recurrence of her cancer. My mom, my mom had cancer for about like just about 20 years, like on and off. Like she was, no, no, not 20. Oh my God, 12 years, 12 years. So and my dad died a couple of weeks before I started medical school. And so, you know, I think with that, reality that longevity isn't something in our family, at least in my immediate family. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, if I'm already not feeling fulfilled and I'm asking my questions, is this what I'm going to do for my whole life? And how long will my life be? Because my mom is dying. My dad died at 52, right? Like, what do I want to do? And again, in the ER, I get a lot of that. I get a lot of what you said of patients coming in and I'm diagnosing late stage cancer, you know, or they're on hospice and they're coming in 
and they're like, I can't do this anymore. Or I know they're not going to leave the hospital. Right. And I always ask them like, you know, what do you want to do? And a lot of times they're like, I don't know. I've spent so much time waiting for retirement to enjoy my life. Right. Especially if they're younger, you know, and I just started realizing like, I don't want to wait to enjoy my life. I want to enjoy my life now. Right. So I think that was the biggest shift and I didn't know what to do. And I actually got introduced to coaching from one of the executives at Facebook. I had done some work with them and I remember he asked me how I was doing and I was like, gosh, I just feel overwhelmed and I feel like, you know, whatever I'm going to do the next day is going to implode like my projects and this and that. And he's like, yeah, sounds right. And he was like, you should hire a coach. And I was like, what the F is a coach, right? Like, and I, and I didn't want to say that to him because I already felt like a fraud, right? And so I'm not going to go tell him, like, I don't even know what that is, right? And so, like, I ruminated on that for, like, two years, right? And so here I am, you know, executive tells me I should, I should hire a coach, right? I'm thinking that it's a bad thing, right? Like, but I don't realize that over 40% of executives have coaches. Like, that's why they're so freaking successful, right? So they're playing on a whole different level of playing field with a different tool set, the toolkit, right, than, than I'm playing with, right? And so... I'm like, so I look into coaches. I'm like, damn, it's expensive. <laughs> yeah. Like I, why would I pay for that? Like, what's my return on investment again? Right. And, you know, it's interesting because it's not like I was coaching for weight loss. I'm not saying that, the, you know, that's a, a worthy reason to coach, but I think with weight loss or money coaching or business coaching, there's like some metrics that you can get behind that are tangible, right? Like mm -hmm. you can lose 10% of your weight. You can make 10% more money. You can scale your business 10%. Right. And so I think that's how we we hear it. Right. But I was like, I just want to feel fulfilled. And I don't know even what that looks like. And I don't know how 10% of fulfillment looks like or whatever it may be. Right. So, you know, and the reason why coaching is expensive is one is accessing that person's brain. It, it's a lot of money, just like, you know, accessing my brain as a doctor, that costs a lot of money. You know, it's, it's a lot of work that I put into it and a lot of work that I'm putting into my patients. Right. So one is like, it's appreciation for the craft of the coach, but also, you know what? If you don't have skin in the game, you are not going to make the changes because if you were going to make the changes, a podcast would cure you. I'm not saying that this podcast Correct. won't cure you, but a podcast will start that process of thinking, right? But implementing in your life is where the hard thing is. But if, if you just needed to hear what you needed to do, then a podcast or a book would be all that you need, right? Mm. How many books have you read? How many podcasts have you read? And what are you thinking about? What is the problem that you're trying to solve and why haven't you solved it yet? Right. Because we're so busy consuming and less doing we're less implementing. And so a coach really pushes you into the implementing phase. I have so many clients that come in like, Holla, I just want you to teach me this. I know that's what they want me to do. So their brain doesn't have to do the work. Right. So I like actually kind of shift that over. Of course, they want me to tell them what to do. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to shift it into more of a coaching mentality. So for me, when I was hiring a coach, I was like, gosh, like this is expensive. But yeah, you know what, though, because it was expensive, I showed up. Not only physically, but mentally. And I was like, well, I need to get my money's worth of this because I've never spent, I think my first investment was like $5,000, I think. $5,000 for three months. Yeah, for, for a coach. And they range, you guys, like for people who don't know how much coaching costs. I mean, you can find a coach for, you know, especially somebody who's really early in their career. And depending on what they coach on, they can coach for a couple hundred dollars for a couple months. I know somebody who coaches for $27,000 for three months. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and what Tony Robbins, he, he, he charges like a million dollars for a year for like <laughs> a certain couple of minutes. Right. So it ranges, right. It totally ranges. But like, I think, you know, for me, I, I, I charge, I paid $5,000 and I just remember thinking like, this is the most irresponsible thing. I'm so selfish. <laughs> I feel so guilty. Like my kids, they could be using that money. Right. But you know what? My kids have such a more emotionally available mom right now. And 
she's teaching them lessons that she wants to. She's becoming the person that I hope that they surpass, right? It's just such an evolution of thought. And I, I was telling you earlier, before we even started recording, you were making a comment about how early it is here. And I start my day at 4.45 in the morning because my kids, they wake up at seven, they have to get to school by nine, and then I'm off by four. And then they get home at 4.26 or something like that, right? And so I built my life. And I also work in the hospital a couple of days a month, but they, they, they usually think I'm like, you know, on a work trip or something like that. And the other day, my, my, my son was in the car and he was asking me a question. My son's obsessed with zombies. And so he, <laughs> he asked me, he's like, mom, can we bring people back from the dead? And initially I was going to be like, no, because I know where he's going to go with it with zombies. But I was like, wait, absolutely. Yeah. Like that's what I do for my, my life. Right. Like that's what I do for a living. Right. Like I bring people back. I do CPR all day long. Right. Like that's what I do. I was like, well, it depends. And we start talking about brain death and CPR in 15 minutes and all this other <laughs> stuff. Right. And so, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get a call from the school, but he was like, mom, how do you know all this? I'm like, I'm like, Randy, that's my job. He's like, what? <laughs> he's like, mom, you work. <laughs> uh, I'm like, yeah. Like, it's just so interesting, right? Like, I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, I knew you were a doctor, but I didn't know you really were. I'm like, yeah. Where do you think I go? He's like, well, I just thought you'd go on a business trip. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you know, because I, I don't work close to my house. I work in a lower socioeconomic area. Like, I go and I travel. Because for me, I realized I wanted to work and have the most impact at work, too. And so I wanted to work with people that don't have access to doctors regularly. That was really mm. important to me. So now I, I do locums to have a little bit more flexibility and also to feel like I'm expressing my values through every part of my service. And so mm. it's really, really fun. I think that's, you mentioned about coaching and the cost barrier to it. Mm -hmm. But I think if you look at like what you're describing, the question to ask is what's the value of living a more fulfilling life and becoming more of the person you want to become or being more in alignment with your values or however you want to describe mm -hmm. it. What's the value of that? And there, you can't really put a dollar amount on it, but I would say it's mm -hmm. super valuable, priceless, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it reduces the, you know, chances you're going to be later in your life and having regrets. And, you know, that I think everybody can get behind that. And that's what good coaching is designed to do is to help you get more in touch with that and ask some of the hard questions because we're not naturally most people don't sit around saying like, what, I, what am I going to do with your life? I mean, you kind of were asking yourself, is this all? This but we're all asking had? ourselves that. We're all like, asking, it just looks different. It's like, oh, you know, is this like I need to get off this hamster wheel or I feel like a cog in the wheel. Like all those questions, all those questions you ask yourself, it's exactly what you're asking yourself. It's right. Like, what is my purpose and what is my impact? But usually we shut it down, you know, like there's there's oh, yeah. symptoms of it. They pop up here and there and it's yeah. like there's these hints of like dissatisfaction and but then we're like no that's not how i be some supposed to behave or whatever and we shut it down and we don't go any further but like that's the prime time when you keep digging and you yeah. you did and it sounds like a coach helped and i think that's kind of what a coach can really do right is they help you peel back all those layers same with therapy too i mean that's a different flavor of it and looking more in I, the past, I think but. they both work really well together so I, I don't think it's an either or. I think it's an and. And I also I would I would say the question I would ask you or anybody else that's listening, if you're if you're debating hiring a coach and having all of the drama I did, is do you know how much more money you're going to lose? Do you know how much more money you're not going to make with without investing this money? Like that's exactly what I wish I would have told myself. Like you cannot afford not to invest in this because you know what would have happened if I didn't invest in that? I would have been burnt out. I would have 
probably ended my career a little bit later, or a little a little bit earlier. I'm sorry. I would have probably made less money because I would have been like taking like ultimate breaks, which I was doing before, right? I wouldn't have invested anything because I would have been too cheap, right? I all of these things, right? And my parent, my kids would have the same parent that my dad was for me, this burnt out doctor, who was amazing. I loved him, but man, he complained about work all the time, right? Like I could not afford to do that anymore. So I would beg to say, you are losing more money by not investing in yourself. You truly are. And so I just, I can't stress this enough, but I know it's a big change in the way that we, you know, we, we spend money, right? Especially, I mean, I don't, I don't know any parents that have life coaches. Like, so it wasn't something that was probably taught to you as a norm, a norm, right? But it's really, really important. And just know like, you know, if 40% plus people in this world that are rich, and wealthy have coaches like there's some correlation a well-managed mind is more productive in all ways including money that's what it is mm-hmm. and i think it's like really super important to do that for a physician it's not that i mean it's difficult to become wealthy but it's not that hard to become rich i kind of like to call them different mm-hmm. things like rich and wealthy so you're right rich is like you know you got a big big investment account or something and that's not I could say, here's five books to read, and it's going to tell you exactly how to do it. And buy index funds. <clears throat> Don't spend much money. Save as much as you can. Buy index funds. You're gonna, you have a higher earning career, and work a lot, and you know, you're gonna be really rich. Yeah. Just do it. I, I was really rich. But like, that's and not fulfilling, and yeah, right. No. Then it's like, I was what's rich the and miserable. point of, of just yeah. money? And so wealthy is, you know. Yeah. I would kind of define it a little differently. It's more of like fulfilling and you don't have to have necessarily have big investment accounts to be wealthy. You could be giving all your money away, for example, or yeah. you know, not having much at all or changing for professions or starting businesses. And, and that's kind of, I mean, your, your life is a good example of you've got a million different things going on and it's, but what you keep saying that's, that is so important, I think to take away is that you have good alignment with what's most important in the decisions you're making. Like your compass is on target mm-hmm. with the things. Yeah, you're my doing. value system. Yeah, I mean, I that's where I started, you guys. I so I read twenty books on Amazon, literally twenty books on values. Okay, and because again, I it was too cheap to hire a coach. Didn't really understand the investment. Didn't even understand what the hell it was. Right. So I, I bought all these books on, on, you know, legacy and all of these other things. And I started realizing like, oh, like I need to live a values-based life. Like how the hell do I do that? You know? So actually on my, on my website, I, I teach people how to do it for free because that's where I started. And I was like, so if I can, if I can save you guys, I mean, obviously if you love to read, do it, but if I could save you guys the money of 20 books and the time of reading 20 books, just, you could just download this. Like, I think it's like 14 pages off my website. It's free. com, And it's a values, it's a value sheet. And I just made it into an easy way to, to pick your values. I don't want you guys to feel like you have to perfect your values. Your values will change and grow over time, just like your wardrobe or, you know, your likes and interests, you know, it will change. So I do this values assessment on myself, you know, once a year, I have clients that do it, you know, a lot more frequently. And I sit there and I think, right. So like, for example, my values are innovation, knowledge, love, and inspiration. Those, that's what leads me to do everything I want. Okay. Every single thing. And I had to define what that really means. Like for example, innovation. I love innovation. I love creating new things, right? You know, that's why I went into consulting, right? And that's why I created Physician Moms Group, which is, you know, the largest women's support group that exists in the world for physicians. And I just love 
creating new things. So then I had to start thinking of myself of like, okay, well, where do I, how do I show up in it with innovation in all aspects of my life? Career is just one of them, right? There's six aspects of our life. There's career, there's money, there's our romantic relationships. There's our other relationships with friends, family, and the community. There's health and there's spirituality. Those are the six ways that we are expressing our value. So I had to sit down and go like, okay, how does innovation look like with my health? How does innovation look like in my relationships, right? I really had to ask myself because when you're unhappy or not feeling balanced, this whole balance, balance is BS, but there's no such thing. There's not even such thing in, in medicine. Like there's a homeostasis and there's a range, right? Like nothing's balanced, right? But this whole balance that we're seeking is really how do we express our values equally in all parts of our life, right? And I didn't know that. And that was like a very big revelation for me after reading all these books and kind of interpreting my own stuff with it. That's what I, I made this whole sheet for you guys to do for free. It's part of a an eight chapter workbook that my, my clients get, but it's the first chapter that you guys get for free. Um, but for me, like literally when I'm making a decision, like even the hospital, like I was just sharing with you guys, the hospital I chose to work at, right? I sat there and I was like, how, how does this align with me practicing my values, right? I mean, I have, you know, hospitals that are right down the street from me and I'm choosing mm. not to work there. Why? Yeah. Right. The old holla years ago, right. Would choose whatever hospital paid the most money. Yep. The second version of Paula would choose whatever hospital paid. Okay. But it was the easiest to work at, like had a lot of resources, maybe was not less as busy. This version of Paula version three <laughs> is where can I express my values, right? Without sacrificing the money I'm making and the time I'm spending. Like, right. I, I mean, it's an evolution. It's not an either or. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I teach my clients how to do that because right now they're working on a value system that one is probably not even their value system. It's a value system that their parents gave them. And it's from a decision that they made when they're 18. They never evolved their brains outside of their craft mm -hmm. for the most part. We lived in a vacuum. Right. So I think it's really, really important to understand your value system. So yeah, I think everything I do, um, I remember I was doing consulting for a really large company and I was consulting for them for a year and then they offered me a full-time job. And five years ago or six years ago, that would have been my dream job, mm -hmm. right? So when they finally offered it to me, I was like, holy crap, I made it, right? Right, like this is so crazy. But when I started looking at my value system, there was no innovation in the role. There was no, there was, there was, there was, basically it was gonna be a transactional role just like it is in medicine. And I was mm -hmm. like, wait, I know, I know how this ends. And I turned it down. Mm -hmm. All that money, all that prestige, all of that old dream that I had from five years ago from the previous Hollis mindset, right? I turned it down with no regrets. Yep. I think that's a better thing that, I mean, what you're saying no to is, is such a good measure of how you're doing on this thing. Because I mean, if you're just saying yes to everything, that's a one thing, but yeah. like, I did the whole year of yes and I did the year of no. And all I learned is like doing things just to say that you're doing them as BS, like do them because you actually believe in it. So there's, there's times I say yes. Like, I mean, like for example, saying yes to this podcast, I went through the same thing. Like, okay, well, is this going to be mutual beneficial for both of us? Right? Like, what are we going to learn together? And what is my value system? How am I going to express my values on this call? And there was a podcast, you know, literally yesterday that I turned down because I just didn't see that, that alignment. Right? Like not because of, I mean, they have a great platform. I just, I didn't really see how that, that was really going to benefit both of us. Right. And so, so yeah, so I just, I think it's a decision. I, and, and now I make it, I, I do it so often that I do it so fast, right. I have to kind of slow down. Right. And like understand. And one of the things I teach in one of our, my values workshops for my clients is how to tell when you're out of alignment. And usually you'll have a dominant feeling or a dominant thought that happens. 
right? So now I know. So when I, okay, this is like my thing, right? When I'm scared or having fear, and usually it's linked to losing money, okay? <laughs> like usually it's linked to like some kind of money scarcity, okay? I know I just need to like go back and check my my values because one of two things is happening. One is I'm completely out of, out of alignment with my values, right? Or I am, but I just haven't used it in that way and I'm a little scared, you know? And I think that it's really important to like take that time. And if you if you want me to give you an example, I can, especially about money because this is a money podcast. But okay, so yes, we have we have more than enough money, okay? Like I'm happy with, you know, how wealthy we are. I'm very happy. And I love spending money on experiences. I feel like our life is too short. I love to learn by experiences, especially traveling. You know, my goal, I would love when my kids are starting to learn about other countries and this and that, I I, want to freaking go there. Like I want them to like experience it real life, not just see it in a book, okay? Like that's what I want. And we go, we travel a lot. I've taken my kids to many places and my dad's bucket list dream vacation is an African safari or was an African safari. And my dad, you know, he spent a lot of money on experiences. Like we traveled a lot. And I remember- my dad saying that he really wanted to do an African safari. So I was like, oh, why don't we do it? And he was like, it's expensive. And I was like, whoa, I've never seen my dad use that word. And I was like, what do you mean expensive? How much is it? Like, I don't know. And like, I, I didn't ask him. I just like thought in my brain. So anyways, a couple of years later, I was watching Wheel of Fortune and they were giving away African safari. So I was like waiting to the end for them to say how much it was. And it was like $17,000. Okay. And I was like, holy shit, $17,000 is a lot of money. Right. So that's what I just, that's what I learned is that $17,000 is too much to spend on a vacation. Okay. Like that is what the lesson I learned, but I didn't know that. So, you know, what's so funny is that none of my vacations have ever cost more than 17,000. It's 15,000, 16,000, but it's never gone over that mark. Mm. Not intentionally. It's like, it's like this thermostat in my brain. Right. Right. Not intentionally. Right. So anyways, I, you know, I start realizing this. Right. And one of the things I was doing, I was doing a future self kind of exercise a couple of years ago. And I was like, my future self like goes on this African safari to kind of complete my dad's, you know, bucket list checklist. Right. And I don't even know how much it is. I still think it's $17,000 from Wheel of Fortune, you know? So I was like, well, let me look into it. Right. So anyways, it's not $17,000. It's much more. Okay. It's much more. Okay. So, <laughs> so I look into it and I, I end up booking it. Okay. So we're going actually next August. So I booked this like three years ago. Okay. So I booked it for next August and it, it is by far the most expensive vacation I've taken. And I have no drama about it. I think like for my whole family, after all is said and done, it will probably cost between seventy and $80,000. I think like, because we're going into Egypt and like, I mean, we're staying at this place called Giraffe Manor. If you guys have not heard about that place, look it up. It's insane. What's it called? Giraffe Manor. My wife's really into giraffes. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry in advance because you're going to have to go there. <laughs> but, but yeah, you have to book, you know, many years in advance. So it's going to be expensive and we're going with the two other families. It's so fun. You know, it's going to be awesome. Right. I have no drama about this money, okay, at all. Okay, so a year ago, or maybe, maybe not a year ago. Like, no, it's like six months ago. Oh my God, it feels a long, long time ago. We went on a cruise, and one of the ports had like a water park. I have no value for water parks. Okay, I grew up next to a water park. Where I used to go all the time, right? And it was going to be a thousand dollars for our family, like twelve hundred dollars for our family of seven to go and have a cabana and whatever, right? I, you would, you would act like you would think I was like having a, like a breakdown, right? Like I was looking at the laptop. I was in bed. Right. And I looked over at my husband. I was like, oh my gosh, like it's $1,200 to go to this water park. And in my brain, I was scared. And I literally, you know what I was doing in that moment? 
I was like, oh shoot, do we have enough money? Am I going to be able to pay my mortgage? Oh my God, my house is going to have to go back to the bank. Okay, this is exactly where my brain goes when I'm in money scarcity, right? This is exactly where my, my brain goes when I'm not in alignment or I'm not sure if I'm in alignment with my values, okay? So I don't have a value system. I don't think that there's any knowledge that I'm going to learn at the, at the water park. Okay, I'm not going to be inspired, okay, by the water park. I don't think it's innovative because, man, there's water parks everywhere. I don't think it's a new way of, of expressing my values through innovation on, on water parks, whatever. But what I was forgetting is it's love. Like, my kids have not experienced that, mm, yeah. right? I forgot, like, yes, I've experienced that. My kids haven't. Like, so I had to really understand, okay, well, what's innovative about this? My kids have never done this. They've never gone on a water park on, a, on an island, right? Like, I had to go through that and really remember actually, you know, whatever it may be. But anyways, when I told my husband about it, right, my husband's like, wow, I, it's interesting. Like, I hope you keep up that same energy with, you know, Kenya, because, you know, he's like, he knows how much <laughs> that's costing, right? Like, he just doesn't really understand why I would have drama about $1,000 and not 70 Like, you know mm. what I mean? And so, but it's true. It's true, though. It's so funny how our brains work. It's not about the numbers. It's not about the money. It's about our thoughts about the money, mm -hmm. Right. So we ended up going and my kids still think that's the best part of the entire cruise is that they got to go on all these like slides, you know, they still talk about it. They still ask to go back. And you know what? That's, I have to remember, it's not just my value system that's working in a vacuum, you know, my kids, you know, it's, it's their experiences as well, you know? And so, so yeah, so, I mean, that's mm -hmm. just an example, you know, I laugh about it now, but I help clients with examples, so many examples, you know, that's what I do and it's just yeah. so fun. Stories and examples are super helpful. I think what you have, <clears throat> and I think what really we're all striving for is greater awareness of what's going on. And that's where the problems happen is when we're just, because everybody has their like autopilot, usually based on their childhood behaviors and thoughts and all yeah, that. And, it's learned. But you can get, you can develop greater awareness. And I think that's why therapy and coaching can be so valuable for people is that's going to kind of accelerate that gaining awareness aspect. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that those are great starting points. But you know, we're so as we wrap up, we're, we're kind of right at that new year phase. And I really wanted yeah. to ask you, like, how do we not get in that position of the person that sets the New Year's resolution? And, and it's, you know, a month in and we've dropped the ball. And like, wh what do we do? What are what are maybe a couple quick thoughts or tips that people can, can really take away and, and give themselves a much better chance at changing their trajectory in the next, in the new year that's about to come. Yeah. So I'm only going to give you one step because I think this is the most important step. I don't know if I really believe in new year's resolutions anymore, but I do believe in goal setting, but whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, new year's resolutions, goal setting, whatever you're putting down on that piece of paper or you're promising yourself as, you know, the ball's dropping or the new year, you know, whatever it may be, whatever it is that you have your mindset to, I want you to stop and think about why. Like really, why have you decided that? Why have you decided to address that issue? Like, why are you doing that? What what do you what do you think is going to happen? What kind of results are you going to have? What like what do you think that's going to offer you? Like, what do you think your life is going to be like? Right. I really want you to ask yourself that because making decisions are really easy. People think making decisions are hard. Okay, they're not. It's managing the objections that come up. That is the hard part. And so, for example, like a lot of people do weight loss goals. Okay. Right. Like, oh, I'm going to finally lose that 20 pounds. Right. 
And the other thing I would say too, is when you're, when you're making a goal or new year's resolution, how many times have you made that same goal or resolution and why didn't it work before? Mm-hmm. Not from a place of like, it's not going to work in the future, but just really be honest with just with yourself, like why it's not going to work before. Was the goal too lofty? Were you like approaching it in a way that wasn't really conducive, you know, with your lifestyle, things like that. So like, let's just take weight loss as an example, because I, le- I literally, you know, this is my life. This is how I used to live a new year's resolution, right? I'd be like, okay, new year knew me. I am not going to be this way by December 31st. Mm-hmm. I am not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be so good this year. And then I would go into this restrictive mindset and everybody does this, right? Like they go to the gym, the gym is so full, <laughs> right? Until about, you know, Valentine's day. Right. And then it's a desert. Right. And I think like, you can't get to your goal from mode. You can't get to goal to your goal from motivation. Like a lot of people are like, I just need to get motivated. I just need to be motivated. I want to let you guys know that motivation is a very intermittent feeling, okay? It is very brief and it's very intermittent. And motivation is not going to get you anywhere, okay? It is your thoughts that and that that those thoughts that you say over and over again, they become beliefs. And your beliefs actually get you to where you want, right? If you are not taking actions to get your results, it's because you just don't have enough belief in your actions. You really don't, right? So just like investments, right? Like if you really think that, losing 20 pounds is going to be better for you, right? Like, what do you think is going to happen at 20 pounds? I just really want to know. Like, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to love yourself more. You're going to think you're beautiful. It's the same as a, it's a more money goal. Yeah. Are you going to be happier? You're not going to worry about money anymore because you have more money. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I know a lot of really rich people that worry about money all day long. Like they're, so they're watching the, to- the stock market and they're like, <laughs> you know, obsessed, right? Like, so yeah, you're not like, you're, you're not, you're not going to change unless you change your thought. And I literally, I literally just went through this with weight loss. I've lost 30 pounds in the last like three and a half or four months, four months. And it all became from changing my thought. Like I realized that I didn't like myself. I have severe body image issues. I like to the point where I didn't want to start my coaching business because I thought I had to put a picture of myself on a website. Hmm. And oh my God, that's drama. Even though I put pictures of myself all over social media all the time, right? It was different, right? I would be more exposed in a different way that I'm not comfortable, right? And so look how many things I didn't do. Like I could have started this coaching business like way earlier. I could have started, I could have started my journey in coaching way earlier. I just didn't think I was worth it. You know? And so I started realizing like, okay, why do I want to lose weight? Like, what does that really mean for me? And for me, I had to learn about my body image issues. I had to learn to love myself now before I lost the weight. Cause I'm not going to love myself when I, when I lose the weight and things like that. So just asking myself, why, why, what do I think I'm going to become after? And why can't I be that person now? And then become that, you know? that physical version of myself. Right. And so I started doing that process and I started realizing actually really what I wanted is I really wanted the health benefits. I mean, I, I believe in healthy at every size and I didn't have any medical problems with the previous weight I was at all, but I do have this history of cancer in my family. And when I looked at the actual science and like the estrogen that's in fat cells, I didn't want, I mean, I did this crazy surgery to decrease my chance of breast cancer. And then I had all this fat on my body that had estrogen in it, like that could increase my chance for breast cancer, for other cancers as well. And so for me, my why became a little bit more important. And through that, and even just learning how to love myself and be like, I'm not ugly. I'm not fat. I'm not unhealthy. Like those are the things I was telling myself. And that's why I wasn't losing the weight. When you're sitting there like beating yourself up while you're at the gym, telling yourself you're unhealthy and you're fat and blah, blah, blah. Even though you're not consciously thinking that, you are thinking that, Right. And so if you don't, if you're not going to be nice to yourself, why would you continue doing that? 
right? So instead, I, I fixed, I, I, I cleaned that all up over the last three years. I cleaned all that up. I actually hired a body image coach, right? Cleaned all that crap up. And I started changing my life back then. And then three years later, I decide to lose weight for the right reasons. That was in August, I decided. And it's December down and I'm 30 pounds down, right? And so, but, it, but it's not from a place of motivation or all of a sudden I found a trick, right? It was three years. It took me three years to lose 30 pounds, not, not just three months. It took me three years, right? Because I had to change my thoughts first. So anyways, all of that to say, if you're going to go into a New Year's resolution, I, I don't want it to take three years for you. I don't want it to take yeah. a long time. But I want you to like really understand why you put that on your list and why is it continuously on your list? Because I'm pretty sure it's not the first time you thought about that goal, right? So if you really want to have that goal on your goal for good, right, and actually get over it, really, really, you know, examine your thought work, hire a coach. If you want to read coaching books or whatever it may be, like, you know, do that, you know, but really examine your thoughts on it. A really good coaching book, a coaching book I started off with was You Are a Badass by Jen Cisnero. That's a really good entry-level book if you are interested in just understanding what thought work is before hiring the coach. But I would just dive in. I would just hire someone mm-hmm. and do all the reading and listen to the podcast, do all the things. Yeah. Yeah, just... Soaking it all up different, everybody's different. So, but yeah, I love peeling back the layers. That's, that's huge. We, we tend to just yeah. set these new year's resolutions and just kind oh, yeah. of will our way good. through it. But, oh yeah. Oh my God. Every year for me, I used to do that. Not, not anymore, but yeah, now it like, if I have a goal, especially like a, if I have a goal, I, I, I definitely go through the whole, you know, why, <laughs> why am I doing this? Like really why? Right. And you know, is it how, is this going to be helping me express my values, right? Who am I going to become after? How is that going to leverage things? How is that going to play into like all of my strategy of life, mm. right? Like what, why am I going to be doing this? And then, and then if I, it's something I'm committed to, then I start looking at like my goals. Is it, is it an appropriate set goal? Like, am I so scared of the goal that I, I'm not going to approach it? Or is it too low where I think it's too easy? And so my mind doesn't want to work for it, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it's really, there's a whole strategy of it. And that's why hiring a coach is really helpful to keep you on track with your goals, you know? And then sometimes you get distracted. Like, you're like, oh, I know I had this goal, but I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do this instead, right? Like, and so mm-hmm. coaches really kind of, it's almost like that GPS in the car that's like, you missed your turn, right? It's like, make a right. <laughs> and then she gets louder, right? Make a right. You turn. Now you have to make a U turn. I know, right? She starts getting mad at you, right? And I mean, I don't get mad at my clients, but I think it's it's just a constant reminder. Unless they ask you, know? you to. <laughs> I know. No, my clients not. I, even if they wanted me to, I, I'm going to be the nice, mm, yeah. the nice place. I think we're already mean to each other and to ourselves, know. you know, in our brain. But yeah, but I always remind them. I have one client. She wanted to build wealth because she's actually, she was actually dying. She she had cancer. She had, she's in remission now. She's fine. But when she hired me, she didn't know, you know, what was going to happen on her next scan. And so she really wanted to build her wealth to give to her child, you know? And I was like, okay, fine. We started talking about it. She has a medical practice. Anyways, she had all of this opportunity opportunity to, to scale different parts of her business. And within four months, we figured out how to scale her business to over a million. So starting January 15th, she has a contract that is going to put her over the seven-figure mark on just one part of her business, of her medical practice. And she's a pediatrician, you guys. So <laughs> all the people who sit there and say, oh, I'm a pediatrician. I don't make enough money. Not true. Okay. It's not true. These are thoughts that you decided to have. And then you're around all the other pediatricians who's when they're saying that they don't make a lot of money. So you, it, it's the same with like, you know, being in medical school and thinking that you had to eat pizza because you didn't have money, right? Like it's just, if that's who you're surrounding yourself with and that's what you want to think, then you will definitely think that, you know? Anyways, she leveraged to over seven figures. And I remember asking her on her first session with me because I did this whole like assessment 
And I was asking her about romance, right? Because that's what one of the ways that we express our values. I was like, oh, you know, so tell me about romance. She's like, no. She's like, I've been divorced for so many years. I, I don't, you know, I don't have time for that. I'm not going to spend my, the rest of my life trying to figure out a relationship. No way, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, she just got married last week. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Isn't that insane? It's so awesome, right? And so there's just, money is not everything, right? Live and enjoy your life now. You work too hard for your success to not enjoy it now. Mm. So that's what I'm going to leave you with. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. I, I feel like we could talk yeah. for hours. There's lots of, I have a, a, a lot of notes too. I'm like oh. a lot of different directions we could take this, but I appreciate you coming on to chat with me. This yeah. is, it's been oh my fun gosh, and, for having me. and always good talking with you. Nice talking to you. You've been listening to Finance for Physicians. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast player. On this show, we believe that when you prioritize your finances, you take better care of yourself, have more fulfilling relationships with your families, and most importantly, provide higher quality care for your patients. If you feel this way too and want to learn more, then make sure to join our community. Follow the Finance for Physicians Facebook group for bonus content and sneak peeks on next week's episode. Thanks for listening.